Good morning, everybody. How you doing this morning? You may want to give me some lights up here. Probably help me out. Uh, but it's good to see everybody this morning. I want to give you just a few more announcements there to add on to what he just said. One of the things that we're going to be doing uh, this week on Tuesday evening, uh, we're going to go and pray at the hospital here in Manchester at 6 o'clock, and then we're going to go over to the London Hospital and pray outside uh, just for the hospital. We got Obviously, our health care workers are going through a whole lot right now. And not only that, but people are dealing with a lot of sickness right now. And it's important that we hold everybody up in prayer as much as we possibly can. So we're going to meet at 6 at the hospital in Manchester and then afterward go to London and pray. Also, small groups are launching this week. So we've got a lot of, uh, we got a lot of small groups that are launching, several small groups. If you've not gotten involved in a small group, once again, you can go to our website, cityofhopechurch.org. Click small groups tab and sign up for that. But we'd love for you to get involved in one of those. I'm personally going to lead one. I don't know how many of you are free on Wednesday mornings at 9 a.m., but I'm going to lead one over here at 9 a.m. for folks that, uh, that don't uh, go to work at 9 a.m. on Wednesday. And, but there's, there's different ones. There's couples groups. There's young men and women's groups. But uh, sign up and we can get you involved in one of those. And then also next steps, step one will be next week. Uh, so if you'd like to, you can sign up at the welcome desk for that and get involved with that, learn more about our church. And then lastly, we got a few baptisms next week. Amen. So, so if you want to be baptized, if you are a follower of Jesus, you've committed your life to Jesus, but you have not been baptized, that is the next step for you. So let somebody at the welcome desk know, maybe let me know, and we will get you into that. Amen. Are you glad to be here this morning? I know we've got a lot of people watching online this morning, which is a great thing. You know, there's, there's lots of various sicknesses going around right now, and people are playing it safe and staying home, which is a good thing, but uh, we believe the Word of God still has power right there in the living room. Amen? Yeah. So we're going to get into this. This is my second, uh, my second, my second message in this, this little series, this mini-series called Final Instructions. And somebody said they were reading 1 Thessalonians and they saw there at the end of the book there in the subheading it said final instructions in their Bible. So they found me out. I stole that out of the Bible. Amen. Amen. It's all good, right? You care to turn my mic down just a notch. I'm going to start screaming here in a minute and it's going to be too loud. Amen. I'm just kidding. Um. So here's the thing. We're going to start out in, in 1 Thessalonians. You can turn your Bible there. But before we get into this message... I want us to pray really quickly, and let's, let's just dive into it together. So, Lord, we just thank you so much for your goodness, for your presence this morning. And, Lord, we just bless your name. God, we need you desperately. We need you now more than ever before. And, and Lord, you know each person that's come into this house this morning, each person that's listening online, you know their heart, their situation, where they're at. And, Lord, while oftentimes, God, the word that we receive, God, from you can be challenging, and it can correct us, Lord Jesus. I believe that it brings hope. And God, it, it's able to set us on the course that we need to follow for your will to be done in our lives. So we surrender to your spirit this morning to teach us. And we ask you to anoint your word and bring life to it to change us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, you know, the past few weeks, we've kind, of been, uh, we've kind of been talking about this end times type of stuff. And with the things that are going on in our world, obviously people are like, yeah, man, it, it seems like things are getting crazier by the minute. And I, I started thinking about this, and you know, a lot of people are talking in this vein and talking about stuff like that. And I remember back when I first got saved about, about 14 years ago or so, I really becoming, it became 
quite infatuated with the second coming of the Lord, this, this, this language of the rapture. How many of you, when you first got saved, you just you get, you get really interested in end time stuff. You start thinking about the end of time and all this stuff. And I remember, see, when I, I was struggling really with, with sin at that time and trying uh, to change my life and struggling really deeply, going back into sin that I'd been struggling with over and over and over again. Most of y'all know my story. And I remember one night I had been reading this commentary on end time stuff and apocalypse and all this crazy stuff and the Lord coming back and the rapture and all this stuff. And I remember I went to bed that night. I fell asleep reading some stuff and I had this dream, you know, because they had the movie back then that was left behind or whatever, if you remember that or not. I had this dream that I'd been left behind. Everybody had been taken in the rapture and I'd been left behind. And when I woke up, I was scared to death and I kid you not, I looked at my TV and it was on like a Christian television channel and on my TV there was a church a church in there with a sign out front that said church closed due to rapture and I said, my Lord, I missed it. <laughs> I missed it. And you know, a lot of people, whenever they grow up in that setting, I, I, would, I would venture to say if you grew up in church, if you grew up in church, you probably heard, you know, about pre-tribulation rapture. And most preachers that preach it were just trying to scare the crap out of everybody. Amen, if I can use that word this morning. They were just, they were just trying to scare everybody to, to repent. And here's the thing, I got to be honest with you. When I first came to the Lord, he, there were some fearful things that came into my life that ultimately led me into this relationship with God. Now, I don't believe that as Christians, were to stay in a place of fear, but if a good, healthy fear of the Lord leads me to the Lord, then I'll receive it. Amen. If I, if, I, if I understand that judgment is coming upon this world and it leads me to the Lord to get my heart right with God, then I say that's a good thing. That's a positive thing. It should lead us to the Lord. And here's, here's the issue, though. When you start talking about these things, people get frightened. People say, man, I don't know if I want to hear that. I don't want to talk about end times. I don't want to talk about persecution or suffering. And here's what we need to understand, folks, is that we live in a generation in church history where we have been so blessed beyond measure that how we have experienced zero persecution is not the norm for Christians throughout history. We've been blessed beyond measure, and what we've experienced is not the norm, and you've got to understand that. So when we talk about suffering or affliction or persecution, it's not that we're trying to scare anyone. Jesus was not trying to scare his disciples. He was simply trying to prepare them, but he told them that they were not to be afraid. Matter of fact, he said in John 16, he made this statement. He said, these things I have spoken to, to you, that in me you may have peace. He said, in the world you will have tribulation. It is going to happen. You're going to have difficult times, tribulation, persecution, hard times are going to come on this world. He said, but be of good cheer. Why? I have overcome the world. What he's telling you is that in this world you're going to experience hardship, suffering, persecution, affliction. In this world you're going to have, good, you're going to have tribulation. But he said, you know what? You can have a good attitude. You don't have to be afraid. Why? Because I have overcome the world and my intention is to give you my same spirit so that you can overcome the world with me. That's what Jesus wants for us. And so when he's saying these things, he's telling us you can have peace in the midst of everything that you're going through. Because listen, Satan, who is this world ruler, we covered that a couple of days ago. He ultimately wanted to kill Jesus. But see, death, even death could not hold Jesus. And because you are in Christ, even death cannot hold you at the end of this thing. So we're looking to a hope that is beyond the current sufferings that we have. And if I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you six final instructions that are in the book of 1 Thessalonians uh, this morning. And I'm going to start with 1 Thessalonians 4. But the first one is simply this. You've got to have hope. 
Now I'm going to hang out here for just a minute before I get into the next ones, but you've got to have hope. And here's what he says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. Now Paul had went to Thessalonica and he taught those people in that church and what they knew was a lot of stuff about the end times. Paul was teaching them about the second coming because they were being heavily persecuted and he was trying to encourage them that this isn't going to go on forever. The Lord will return. But many people had died. Many of their brothers and sisters had been martyred. They had been killed. And Paul says this to them in verse 13 through 18. He says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. Now, asleep is just a euphemism for death. A lot of people will say, well, see, when you die, you just sleep, and, 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 and they're just waiting for the resurrection. No, when you die, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Sleep is a euphemism for death. There's no such, soul sleep is not something that we believe in. We believe that when you die, your spirit and your soul are with the Lord Jesus Christ. In the end, your physical body will be resurrected, rejoined to your spirit and soul, and you will have a glorified body, but you will be with the Lord when you die. He said about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Notice what he says. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. See, they were grieving because what they believed, there was a guy in their time in the modern world and that was a Greek philosopher who taught a lot of things. His name was Plutarch. And he used this very particular word uh, that, that Paul is going to use for being caught up. And the word caught up is actually this Greek word herpazo. And it means to, to seize or to snatch away. And that Greek word is a word that Plutarch meant. And he said, look, everybody that dies before their time, he said, you know what? It's sad because they just get seized and they get snatched away from developing their life. They get snatched away from developing a career, from being a citizen, and their life just ends and they're, and they're getting seized and snatched away. And what Paul is saying, he's saying, no, we don't think like that. Because when we, get, when we die and we get snatched away from this world, what we get snatched away from is something, what we get snatched away from is far worse than what we're get, getting snatched snatched away too. And Paul is saying, no, they're not getting snatched away like you boys think. They're getting snatched away to go and be with the Lord and so shall they ever be with the Lord. But he says, you guys don't have to grieve like the rest of the world grieves because I know you're watching your brothers and sisters die. You got family members that are maybe getting sick and dying and you're experiencing this grief like you normally should and would because it hurts when we lose and death is an enemy of God. But at the end of the day, you do not have to grieve like others grieve because we have this hope that the dead in Christ shall rise up out of the grave first, then we who remain will be caught up in the air to meet the Lord in the clouds and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And so he says, we're going to be snatched away. We're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And he says, when we meet the Lord, now this is where it's going to get controversial for you this morning. I told you last week that, you know, I like to, I don't know whether it's pre-trib or post-trib. I've got my own opinions. I know people are going to argue about it. 90% of the American church has been taught a pre-tribulation rapture. You agree with that? 
They have. Do you know that in most of the world and throughout history that has not been taught? It's, it's really an American thing. It began, nobody believed in a pre-tribulation rapture until 1830. And a guy named John Nelson Darby started this because he started the, the doctrine and the, and the system of dispensationalism. Up until that time, even the early church fathers up into the year 300 in their writings, they would say that they're either in the great tribulation or they're going through the great tribulation because they were all being persecuted. And they all had Roman emperors who were proclaiming to be God. They saw many antichrists. They believed that they were at the end and they were already going through the great tribulation. So when John Nelson Darby comes along, he teaches a pre-tribulation rapture. Most people have adopted that, and we'll get into that a little bit more. But he says that they're going to meet the Lord in the air. Now, this word meeting is a very unique word. It's opentasis in the Greek. Now, they use that in secular Greek culture to mean this. They would have an opentasis when a king or a ruler or a dignitary was coming into town. And what they would do is they would get all the governors and constables and every fancy person. And they would go out to meet the dignitary before he got there to usher them in with all the pomp and circumstance. So pre-tribulation rapture will teach it like this. Pre-tribulation rapture says this. He says that on this earth there is coming a time of seven years of great tribulation like the world has never seen. That in the end there's going to be seven years where there's going to be cataclysmic events and Antichrist is going to rise on the scene. The mark of the beast will, will seek to be administered. The Bible talks about many saints being martyred for their faith and just a terrible time on the earth during this seven years, and before that seven-year tribulation begins, pre-tribulation rapture teaches that all of the true saints in Christ will be caught up, out of the way, removed so that the tribulation can begin. And at the end of that seven-year period, Jesus is going to return with all of the saints from heaven for the final battle of Armageddon. Now, like I said, what other people believed was a post-tribulation rapture. What they believed was that yes, in the end there was going to be some type of great pressure that comes to the world, some type of great tribulation. But see, the issue was this. They always believed. John said, we talked about it last week. John said there have already been many antichrists that have come into the world. And so you see this intensifying pressure as time goes on. Many antichrists have arisen and many people have said this is surely the end. In World War II, many people said this is surely the end. Surely Hitler is the antichrist. But guess what? God restrained him. Satan has been trying this plan over and over and over again throughout history. But there is coming a time when God releases his restraint and he gives full way to that power, that spirit of lawlessness that is at work. And an end times antichrist will arise and it will be a glo on global scale. Okay. So the question is, is it pre-tribulation rapture or is it post-tribulation rapture? Here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to leave it up to you. I can tell you that in the scripture, when I study, I lean one way, but I'm not even going to tell you which one it is. Because here's what I said last week. I'm going to hope for a pre-tribulation rapture, but I'm going to prepare for a post-tribulation rapture. Amen. The Bible leaves some of these things quite uncertain. But the more you look into it, I think... It can become more and more clear. But see, when people talk about the Great Tribulation, they don't always mean exactly the same thing because many consider the Tribulation to actually be a symbol of what is happening since Christ has died and rose again from the dead. They're saying that since the Christian church began, the, the, the Christian church has gone through Great Tribulation. But what we see is an intensification because... 
In the New Testament, this present age period is characterized by affliction. In 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 2 through 4, you got to understand that when Paul and all the New Testament writers were writing to these men and women, they believed they were in tribulation. They said this, he said, We sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. Let me tell you something. There ain't nobody got that verse on their bathroom mirror in the morning. Everybody got Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans of peace and not to harm you. Plans to prosper you and give you a good future and a hope. I get it. I understand it. But do you know that even Jeremiah 29, 11 is in the context of them being cast out into Babylon, castrated and enslaved? He says, you were destined for affliction. Praise God. Clay is such an encouraging pastor. He has made us feel so good the past few weeks. He says, we were destined for affliction. He said, for when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. The present age since Christ's death is full of affliction, it's full of tribulation, and it's full of antichrist. And so here's what I want you to understand that the tribulation is. The tribulation is both the period that the church is going through from the time of Jesus' death until the very end, but it is also intensifying with each season. Because here's what the Lord ends up saying as you go on. Notice this. He says in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 7 through 12. He says, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So what he's saying is the mystery of lawlessness has been at work. And you have seen the church being persecuted throughout history. You've seen Antichrist rise up and, and act in God-type manners. And you've seen great evil on this world over and over again. And we've went through periods. I'm telling you right now, if you look at history, America has been setting in, in, in a few centuries of just absolute peace in comparison to the rest of the world with, with, with the exception of having to go through World War I, World War II, the Civil War. We've had those things going on. But as far as the church goes, we've had no persecution. We've not had to deal with any of these things. And so he says that really right now, the one who restrains will restrain until he just finally is taken out of the way and he removes it. And in that time, you're going to see it not just happen in local, uh, local places on the globe, but you're going to see a global scale of tribulation begin to take place. A global scale of tribulation begin to take place. And so you see these recurring cycles with intensification that is going to culminate in one final global end time tribulation. Now, a few years before Billy Graham died, he warned this because he lived in America. He preached the gospel in America and other places. But a few years right before Billy Graham died, here's what he said. He said, the American church's general immunity to persecution in the past two or three centuries is unusual. Christians should get ready to face persecution here 
as Christians have had to endure it elsewhere. Amen. And so this is why it talks about in the New Testament. Now, I, I, you know what? I've never had a baby. And I know that shocks you because contrary to popular belief, right, men don't have children. Amen. But I've never had a baby. But if it, what I understand about ba having babies is that when you have a baby, you know, you start getting bigger. You start experiencing pressure. It gets rougher, women tell me. And then all of a sudden your water breaks and you have contractions. And you start having in intense pains, don't you? And then while you're having these intense pains, those contractions get closer and closer and closer together until you give birth to your child. And Jesus used this as an analogy. He said, look, it's going to be like a woman giving birth. You're going to, your pain and your suffering is going to intensify, but you're willing to go through it because of the joy that's going to come at the other end of it. He says, you, it's just like a woman with birth pains. And that's what he said in 1 Thessalonians 5.3. He said, while people are saying there is peace and security, that sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. And it also speaks that some of the things that we're seeing in our world right now, Jesus called them the beginning of birth pains. Here's what he said in Matthew 24, verses 6. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. For this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these are but the beginning of birth pains. Even Jewish people taught throughout history, throughout Jewish history, that when, when the Messiah was going to come, there would be an, an intense time of persecution against the Jewish people. That's what they believed. And they called it the birth pains of the coming Messianic age. They believed that their suffering would be greatest right before the Messiah came and set up his eternal rule and kingdom. So what I'm telling you is we may need to be prepared for suffering and tribulation and persecution. But what you need to understand is that every time throughout history that the church has gone through this, the church has not only thrived, but they have increased in love and joy and commitment to Christ. I know you don't believe that. And I know you'd like it to rather be easy. And I told you, I told you last week and the last two weeks, I would rather just like you sit and be able to watch TV every day and have the best life now. But I'm telling you right now, that's not what the Bible teaches. Amen. So we go on and we're looking. We talk about this groaning because Paul says this. He says, you can look at the world. All of creation, he said, is groaning right now. He said, the earth itself, when you see these hurricanes and these storms and these floods and this evil, the earth itself is groaning and we are groaning in our spirits knowing this is not the way that it should be and what we're going through are birth pains and the contractions are getting closer and closer together. People will argue all the time. They say, well, you know, the signs of Jesus is coming. Th those signs he has given all of the time. But if you look again throughout history, earthquakes continue to increase in number. Bloodshed throughout history has continued to increase in number. The 1900s was the bloodiest century in the history of time. And so what we see is an intensification of these things and Jesus saying, look, these are birth pains that are coming upon the earth. The contractions are getting closer together. You need to pay attention to all of these things happening at once. If you watch the news right now, folks, I'm telling you, it's one day, it's one crazy thing. Next day, it's another crazy thing. And, 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 and it's just one thing right after another to get our attention. Now, do I know for a fact that the Lord is coming back at any particular time? We've shared that. We don't know the day or hour. We may have another hundred years. I don't know. 
But the Bible teaches that we are to be discerning, understanding these things and pay attention to what's going on. Let me read a few more verses. I've got a lot of scripture because nobody preaches it better than the Bible itself. Matthew 24 verses 9 through 14 says this. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation. This is Jesus talking to his disciples and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And, and, this, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Now notice this. He says, immediately after the tribulation of those days... The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and then all of the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. You see that same trumpet that was in 1 Thessalonians. He'll send out his angels with a loud trumpet call at the end of those days of tribulation and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other so you see this promise that he's saying he's saying listen you could be you could be upset you could get ready but what you need to understand is that right now you're not called to be looking for the antichrist you're not called to be fearful about the things that are coming upon the world you are called to be a faithful witness of Jesus Christ in the midst of dark times because he has given us the promise that he will always be with us never leave us nor forsake us and that while great darkness is covering the earth and deep darkness the people the glory of the Lord shall arise over you Every time that the ch church has went through persecution, God has supernaturally empowered his people to be faithful witnesses and enabled them to do things beyond their own capabilities and to remain faithful in those times. I'm telling you, when we step into saying, you know what, Jesus, I'm going to follow you no matter what, no matter what pressures come, I'm not going to compromise, I'm going to go with you, there is something that comes into the heart of a believer who's committed like that. In the book of Revelation, if you read the entire book of Revelation, it talks about ultimately it's all about the faithful witnesses. And Jesus addresses the churches. There are seven churches that he addresses. And it's so interesting because five of these seven churches he rebukes. And most of these churches he rebukes because they're compromising. They're becoming complacent. They're giving in to the culture around them. They're laying down their values. They're allowing the world to pressure them. They're not looking for the return of the Lord. One church specifically, he says, you guys think you're, you've got everything that you need. And he said, you've become lukewarm and you don't realize that you're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind and you're naked. And that's the church in America today, I believe. I believe we don't realize how good that we've had it and we've put Jesus on the back burner as if we can leave him as a side item when he's asked us to follow him. And see, but there's two churches that he gives no rebuke to. And do you know why? Those two churches were being heavily persecuted. And what persecution has always done to the church is it has refined the church so that what you end up finding is that those who are not committed to Christ fall away during persecution and those who are committed to Christ go deeper into Christ. So when he addresses those churches, he doesn't have to rebuke them because they've been persecuted to the degree that if they weren't committed, they weren't going to hang around. And you've got to ask yourself, what would you do if all of a sudden it's illegal to meet at church? 
What would you do if you're in the situation of our Afghan brothers and sisters right now that are having to give their life? If they got a Bible on their phone, they'll take a bullet. And I say, you say, but Clay, we're over here in America. Preach something encouraging. Give me a couple of weeks. Pray for me. It'll get better. Y'all are, give me a hand clap or something, you know, every now and then. Amen. Right now in Afghanistan, I read a report that in the midst of persecution, Christians being killed, one church network that was roughly 320, I want you to understand this, 320 people in one underground church network that had connections in America and some missionaries knew them. They spoke with them. Many of them had been killed and martyred. They were hiding underground, still serving the Lord. But in two weeks, that church ballooned from from 320 people to 2,500 people. How is it that while they're being murdered, all of a sudden the church is growing? We're over here, got it made in America, and the church is really not growing nationally, is it? And there's something that happens And you say, well, Clay, some of the stuff you preach, people are going to get scared. They're not going to come to church. If they can't listen to me preach this, they definitely ain't going to be able to stick around when this type of stuff comes. Right? I mean, this is really gentle. So this is what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians to the people that are going through this same type of stuff that our Afghan brothers and sisters are going through. He says, therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. See, no matter what kind of affliction you go through, what their hope was is, you know what? It doesn't matter how bad it gets. Our hope is that Jesus is coming back. And our tribulation, our affliction, whatever we endure is only for a very short time in comparison to the blessed hope that we have that Jesus will return and give us a glorified body, vanquish all sin and every enemy and bind the devil and we will never experience pain ever again. We will never weep another tear another time and we will rule and reign with him forever. He said, we've got that blessed hope. That's what we're hanging on to. It doesn't matter what kind of difficulty or struggle that we're going through. He is going to grant relief to us when he comes with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. He's preaching about a group of people. He says, look, there's a group of people who right now, he says, God is sending strong delusion. He's allowing them to enter into strong delusion right now on the earth because they did not receive the love of the truth that they should be saved. Instead, they said, you know what? I don't want Jesus. I don't want to repent of my sins. I would rather live in unrighteousness in this world that is clearly going down the drain. And because of that, he said, because they rejected God, God handed them over to delusion. And right now, people are deluded, folks. People are believing crazy things. They're believing insane things. But see, the gospel still works. 
And this is why we don't say, okay, we're looking for an escape from difficult times. No, we say we are the church. We're called to proclaim the gospel. And there's still millions out there that are about to be saved because we're going to proclaim the gospel even in dark times. Just like it's happening in Afghanistan, when you see that kind of torment coming around the people and you see these people who are saying, no, we're living for something beyond this. This world is not all there is to live for. People say, hey, I'd rather go with you. Because death is not a scary thing when you're sitting there staring it in the face and you've got the hope that only Jesus Christ can give. And I know this is not, this is not something that we hear a lot, man, in, in America, is it? It's just not something that people teach a lot because we have had it so good for so long. And you know what? We may continue to have it good for a long time. I don't know. I don't sense that in my spirit. I feel like the world is going in a direction where it could get very strange very quickly. But you know, the book of Revelation teaches that it seems like victory when the beast kills and murders the saints and martyrs the saints. But the book of Revelation teaches that true victory is when you are willing to stay faithful to Jesus no matter what, even in the face of death. True victory is saying, even if, they, even if they kill me, I ain't going to bow down. Jesus is Lord. I'll never deny his name. That's true victory. And those are the ones who are resurrected to glory and honor at the end of the age. And he talks about in the book of Revelation, he gives promises to each of these churches that he rebukes that are compromising. And he says, to those who will overcome this world and the pressures that are overcoming this world, he said, you will eat from the tree of life in God's paradise. You'll not be harmed by the second death. We will receive the promised manna and a white stone with a special name. He says, we will have authority over the nations. He says, Jesus will clothe us in white garments. He will not blot our names out from the book of life. And he will confess us before his father and his angels. He says that Jesus will make us strong supports in his temple where we will dwell forever. He will write on us the name of God and of the new Jerusalem and his own new name. Jesus will seat us with him on his throne just as he overcame and sat with his father on his throne. We will worship before God's throne. And then lastly, we will inherit the perfect new creation and God will be our God and we will be his sons and daughters. And throughout the book of Revelation, what you see is a group of people that are either living for this world and what they can gain in this world or they're living for the coming kingdom knowing that that is what we have to live for because can you imagine when we are with Jesus in a renewed earth heaven and earth have become one a billion years into that thing where you've not even experienced a drop of sin any sickness or disease you've got a glorified body all of the good things that you have experienced in this world cannot even touch the things that God has prepared for us for eternity and this is where we root our hearts. This is where we ground our foundation. We've got work to do here. We don't give up and we're not looking for an escape. We're not looking for an escape. We're saying as long as we are here, we have a job to do. We're to remain faithful to Christ. We are to preach the gospel. We are to stand for the truth in the midst of this. We should be looking and seeking to share our faith with non-believers and not running away from the frightening things that are happening in our world. If you, will go, if you will understand this, see, because most people, most people will allow this to scare them and make them scared. But if you will allow this to push you into Jesus, he will give you a boldness and a fearlessness and, and a power that is beyond your own ability so that there is nothing that is going to shake you in the midst. He says, don't be shaken by your current affliction and tribulation. Don't allow it to shake you because there's a power in Christ that's greater than what's going on in this world. And so Paul begins to deal with this and he's talking about people that when the crisis comes, people are either going to fall away or people are either going to get more committed to Christ. And that's why I'm saying this now 
Because when things begin to happen suddenly, you need to hear that voice in your head saying, you knew this would come. And right now you're being pressured to move away from Christ, but now's the time to go deeper. And when that voice comes to you, you need to, you need to stick. And Paul, Paul gives this warning. That's why he gives practical tips. He gives suggestions. He gives what we said final instructions to the family of God to what we need to do in this. Now, last week we talked about how we needed to connect with the family of God, he said in 1 Thessalonians 5. He said we needed to engage in ministry. We needed to be gracious to people and not repay evil with evil. And we needed to rejoice always. Can you imagine a man knowing these are the things that are coming on people? He was in prison when he wrote it and said, hey, rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. Even while I'm in prison for preaching the gospel. That's the kind of mindset that he had. But he goes on, and here's my second point, and I'll move through these a bit more quickly. But my second point is in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, and that's stay in prayer. Because Paul says, in addition to those things we talked about last week, you need to pray without ceasing. Say, well, that's a difficult task, man. How do you never stop praying? I mean, I'm sitting here right now, and I'm not praying. What he's saying is, is he's saying there are distractions that are going to come upon your life, persecutions, tribulations, different things that are going to draw you away from your connection and your communication with God. And y'all all know, well, even the devotion that Al gave up here this morning when we were praying was just that very thing. How many distractions do we experience in a week's time? A buddy of mine, I believe it's Richard, gave me some stats this past week, here's what he said uh, that he found. Uh, the average person right now spends 706 hours on social media a year. That's four and a half months of working hours you spend on Instagram and Facebook. And that's just the average person. Some of y'all young folks, you longer than that. And you know it. Go ahead and laugh about it. You the average person spends 2,700 hours a year binge-watching TV. And by age 21, the average male has spent 10,000 hours on video games. My point with all of that is this. I'm not saying all those things are terrible. We use all of those things in different varieties, and sometimes we need a little entertainment to escape. I agree with all that. I'm not saying that you're supposed to just throw everything out, but what I am saying is this. What is your prayer life like? This week, you've been worried about tons of things, You've been complaining about all kinds of things. Let me tell you this. If you are complaining, you are not praying. If you are complaining, you are not praying. You need to take your complaints. You need to quit bringing them to somebody else. You need to take them to the Lord. I know you've got issues. I know people have upset you. I know different things are going on in your life. But you need to quit complaining and you need to take this to the Lord. And you have got to spend time right now with the Lord like never before you got to pray without ceasing because there are pressures and anxieties and distractions that are coming upon this world that if you are not a person of prayer, you're not going to have the wisdom and the strength that you need to move forward in this hour. He says you got to learn to pray without ceasing if you're going to get through the end times and run with the horses in all of these situations. you got to plan some time alone with God to be in His Word. What if we spend all that time that we spend on social media? I would even suggest, you know what, some of y'all, you just need to cut Facebook off for about a month. It ain't doing you no good no way. I can promise you that. All y'all are in is on vaccine debates and your opinion about this and your opinion about that. Shut it down. Get in the word of God. It's doing nobody any good. You need to pray about those things. You need to make good, wise decisions. Quit being a jerk. And pray and get in the word of God. 
Every major move of God throughout history has started and began and was sustained because there were men and women who chose to pray and continued in prayer until God moved. And I feel and I sense that even in the church, even in our church, that we focus more on making this happen and this program run and this thing work and this look good, and yet we ain't even praying. And we have got to come together as a people to begin to say, you know what, we gotta, it, it, it's time, things are serious, we must lay petty things aside and we must get close to God. Number three, he says, give thanks. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, final instructions. Notice that he's talking about this in context of, hey, we're in the end times, y'all. Like things are getting serious. It's ramping up. And then he says this, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, we don't give thanks that there is a virus. We don't give thanks that there's war breaking out and we've lost soldiers. We don't give thanks for those things, but we give thanks in the midst of those things. We give thanks in the midst of those things because we know that God is still on the throne. We know that God is still in control of all things. And we don't live from a position of complaint and criticism. We live from a, from a place in a position of rejoicing and praise to God Most High that can use the worst of situations and turn it together for our good. There's nothing that we go through that God is not able to turn together for our good. And so you've got, you've got to decide which person are you going to be. Are you going to be a person who is complaining and aggravated with every situation and, and just letting yourself be overwhelmed with anxiety? Or are you going to give thanks in every circumstance and say, Lord, I'm thankful that I can worship this morning. I'm thankful that I can lift my hands and pray. I'm thankful, Lord, for our health that we still have. I'm thankful, God, that you're still on the throne. I'm thankful that even if death comes for me, that you're going to raise me from the dead and I'm going to live eternally. I'm thankful that your spirit is still working that you're going to save my family. I'm thankful for the food that we've got to eat right now and the clothes on my back. Look, it's easy to complain. You can find a complainer right now anywhere. I like Jeremy Baker. I tell people all the time they need to go sit with Jeremy Baker for a while. I come to him sometimes. I say, man, this is going on. This is going on. You know what he'll always say? I don't care what I say. He will not jump on my pity party. I love that. Don't be, one who, don't be the person who jumps on another person's pity party. You need to say what he says to me. He says, you know what, Clay? I, it's, it's bad. It is bad. But you know what? We've got to stay positive because God's doing big things. He'll say that to me. Are you going to be that person who's saying, you know what? We've got a lot to be thankful for. We got things to give God glory for. God's doing big things in the midst of all this turmoil, in the midst of all this chaos. He's moving in our midst. Things are happening. God is saving people. God is stirring in people's hearts. Things are moving. What would happen if we just changed our mindset and we actually refused to complain? What would happen? He said, give thanks in all things. And you're going to find that you need to give thanks more and more as things get worse and as you face more trials. You need to find the things that you can be thankful for. Number four, he said you need to use discernment. You need to use discernment. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, he said, do not quench the Spirit. Now the Spirit of God is the, is the person of the Godhead who lives inside of us. And I'm telling you, one of the things that the Spirit of God does, and I, I just want to speak about a couple because there's so many things that He does. He teaches us all things. He leads us and guides us into all truth. He convicts us of sin. When, you, when, when some of y'all young people, you know, you're in college right now and you're doing all these things and you're getting around crazy people. I was there, I get it. But when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, guess what? You got that friend on the inside of you that says, hey, don't go there. Don't do that. Stay away from that. 
That's the Holy Spirit. And he says, don't put out the Spirit's fire when he's trying to speak to you when people are trying to lead you astray. This is what 1 John says in 1 John 2, 26 and 27. He says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. There are people in this world that are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you have received from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. He's saying, look, at the, what you have is you have an anointing of the Holy Spirit that's on the inside of you and you can discern, is this from God or is this not from God? And with everything that's going on right now, I'm telling you, you will read one thing and then you'll read something completely different. And everybody's arguing and everybody's got an opinion. What you need to do is lay aside everybody's opinions. You need to get your counsel the best that you can. And you need to step back and you need to say, God, is this you? And you need to pray. And you need to exercise discernment. Because right now what people lack more than anything is discernment. Discernment is the ability to really truly see, is this from God or is this not of God? Is this truth or is this a lie? Is this got some truth in it, but are somebody, is somebody trying to deceive me behind this thing? You need to pray for discernment. And the way that you're going to sharpen your discernment is by being in Scripture. Nothing is going to happen. This is why right now when I'm preaching, I don't always do this, but right now while I'm preaching, I'm reading tons of Scripture. You know why? I want to expose you to as much Bible as I possibly can. Because unless you're exposed to it and you hear it for yourself, you don't have discernment. And the reason that I know this is true, somebody shared this study with me this week. There was a new study from Probe Ministries on Religious Views and Practices Survey. And notice what they said. They said over 60% of people who checked the box for being a born-again Christian in America between the ages of 18 and 39 believe that Jesus isn't the only way to heaven and that Buddha and Muhammad also are valid paths to salvation. That's zero discernment. If you believe that, it actually means that you're not a born-again Christian. But we live in a society that right now, because the truth is not preached very often, you can check the box born-again Christian and not actually be one in belief. The same study said there was a drop in the belief of God's attributes, Jesus being sinless, and the accuracy of the Bible from 47% in 2010 to 25% in 2020 among born-again Christians. Now, the guy who did this study, here's what he ended up saying. He said, the disturbing fall of biblical views, especially among younger Christians, is because they are not paying attention and are focused nearly exclusively, it seems, on their phones, social media, and other content they deem compelling. In other words, what he's saying is, is that most people ages 18 to 39 spend far more time on their phone and social media and everything else getting inundated with all of the ideologies of the world and never cracking their Bibles. And then when they go to church, their preachers are not preaching the Bible. I'm getting a little bit too serious this morning, aren't I? And this is the situation that America is currently in. Because people aren't reading their Bibles. They're inundated with the media of this world. And then they go to church and they don't hear it there either. I told somebody this week, most of the stuff, most of the sermons that you listen to, you could probably preach at Google and it would pass. Just to encourage your employees, be a good person. Amen. I'm going to let somebody else preach next week. (laughs) 
First Thessalonians 5.20, he says in the same context, do not despise prophecies. Now, why would he say don't despise prophecies? You can look at this one of two ways. A prophecy in a, in a, in a major sense is the fact that the Lord is coming back. <laughs> you can vote yes, you can vote no, he's going to be here. And he's bringing his reward with him. He is coming back. That's one prophecy. And people despise prophecies like that. People despise some of the prophecies that I've read because they don't want to hear of difficulties coming upon the earth. They don't want, so they despise. He says, don't despise those things. In a secondary sense, we believe that prophecy is a word that comes from God that can be given as an inspiration for a time and for a group of people. We believe in that. And, 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 but, we, but sometimes you can l learn to despise prophecies. Why? I remember in this last election, I can't, I can't tell you the number of people that come to me and I heard of people saying, you know what? The Lord has told me that Donald Trump is going to be elected president. Well, they missed that one, didn't they? And it causes you to lean back and say, man, I just don't know if people hear from God or not. Like why they get into this weird stuff and start prophesying all kinds of this weird stuff. What I'm saying is, yeah, there's a lot of weird stuff, but you still need to be in a position where you hear the voice of the Lord for you in this hour. Prophecy essentially means that you're getting insight from God that the rest of the world is not sharing with you. I'm telling you, CNN and Fox News is not going to share with you what God wants to share with you. You need to turn that off on occasion and get in the prayer closet and open the scripture so that God can give you an insight of what is going on in our world so that you can see what you need to do with your family, in your workplace, and around the scenes. He says, don't despise a word from the Lord. Don't despise prophecies. Have discernment. Have an understanding. Right now, we need to rise above all of the foolishness that's going on. Let God lift us up above the smoke so that we can see and have a heavenly perspective. This is what we need to pray for. You know that right now that's going on, in the midst of the crazy things that, going on, that are going on, in the past 40 years, 1.6 billion people have come to faith in Christ. Amen. That's something to celebrate. That means that more people have come to Christ in the last 40 years than the previous 1970 years combined. In the midst of all of the chaos that's going on, there is more receptivity to the gospel than ever before. And Jesus said, this gospel shall be preached to all nations, and then the end shall come. And we're to preach this gospel to all nations. Number five is that he says we need to exercise wisdom. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 and 22, he says, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And I'm telling you right now, I don't care what it is. And I could really get into this, but I'm going to pull back because I don't want to dive into too many political issues this morning. But no matter what people are trying to push on you in this next season of life, you need to research, you need to pray, you need to study, and you need to ask God. There is nothing that I will do I don't care how simple it may seem before I go to the Lord in prayer and say, Lord, what do you think about this? He said, test all things. Hold fast to that which is good and abstain from every appearance of evil. So I'm discerning 
But then I've got to exercise wisdom. I've got to step back and I've got to exercise wisdom. And I know this is going to sound strange to you because you would think that wisdom comes from just maybe reading more books. And while books help and they give us knowledge and understanding, and I I tell you, I I have an addiction really to reading stuff. I read articles and I've been reading medical journals here lately with all this crazy stuff that's going on. So I've been reading all kinds of stuff. But at the end of the day, that gives you a certain measure of knowledge. But true wisdom comes from the presence of the Lord. And I've shared with you before in the Old Testament, all of the men that it lists that were as wise as Solomon, you know what they all were? Worship leaders. They were all men who spent hours and hours every day in the presence of God. And I'm not talking about just worship leaders in the sense that they get up and sing a song on Sunday. I'm talking about people that in their private time were alone with God in the secret place. Because in that secret place, it unlocks the wisdom of heaven. And God, and 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 what am I saying? I'm saying what you need to do if you're going to get through the stuff that's going on in this world right now and live at peace and have peace during the tribulation that is on this world. Jesus said you are going to have tribulation. It's a promise from God. It's one of those ones you can put on your mirror. You will have tribulation. I think I'm going to put that on my mirror. I will have tribulation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He said, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. But if you're going to make it through, Tell you what you need to do. You need to go home. You need to open your Bible. You need to read that thing. You need to stay in prayer. You need to turn on some worship music and just start telling the Lord you love Him. And all of a sudden, you're going to sense His present. And your perspective is going to change. The burdens are going to lift. All of the pressures and anxieties of this world are going to lift. Right now, people are under so much anxiety. And we sit and we scroll through our phones and we see the worst news imaginable over and over and over again. And we wonder why we're anxious. You sit there and look at terrible news all day long and you don't have one word from the Lord. You want a cure for anxiety? I guarantee you, before you start trying them anxiety meds, you need to turn off the news media and social media and get in the Word of God and the presence of God and begin to worship God and see if that doesn't cure what ails you. Amen. Lastly, number six is that we have to maintain vision. See, the problem with all of the pressure and anxiety that comes upon our world right now is we start to lose our vision. We start to forget what God's called us to. Every time I get in a bind or I get worn out, there have been times, believe this or not, there's been times I've wanted to quit pastoring. Can you believe that? I've thought about doing something else, but you know what? When I get in the presence of God and I get with the Lord, He reminds me of what He's called me to. He reminds me that there's an end goal. He reminds me that there's a reward waiting on me. He says, all of these things that you think you want, Clay, they're not going to add up in the end. You need to pay attention to what matters. Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Pay attention to the calling. Maintain your vision. Watch your focus. Look out on into eternity. Don't look at just this life. Look at the life to come. Who you take him with you. Maintain your vision. First Chronicles had a scripture about the sons of Issachar who were men of understanding, who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. We need understanding of the times to know what we ought to do and we need to have vision because where there is no vision, what? The people cast off restraint. You need a vision of the return of the Lord. You need a vision of Jesus returning. You need to understand that this life, your career, your family, your job, 
Live Hunting Company's got a phrase. It's all secondary. All of those things are secondary to the fact that Jesus Christ is returning and the life that we have to live right now is a life where we're living for Jesus. We need to minister the gospel to who we can, while we can, and we need to get our eyes focused on Him. And so all of these scary things that are happening around the world, listen, I I, I believe with all of my heart, this is not a time for Christians to get frightened and get worried. This is a time for us to rejoice. This is a time for us to give thanks. This is a time for us to draw near to the Lord for supernatural strength because He says those who know their God in the book of Daniel in the last days will do great exploits. You're going to do great things for God in the midst of this darkness. You're not going to tuck her out and turn into a coward like the rest of the world, but you are going to maintain your vision. This is where he finishes, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. He says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. He's saying you need to submit to the fact that this Jesus Christ, He wants to take you, He wants to take every part of you. He wants to set you apart, make you holy, spirit, soul, and body, so that when He comes, I don't know about you, but I want to know that I'm washed in the blood of Jesus, so that when He returns, I'm found blameless. And then you talk about a good promise. It says that He who called me is faithful, and He will also do it. Jesus is going to keep me blameless so that when he returns, no matter what I go through, I'm not, I'm not moving away from Jesus. I'm serving Jesus no matter the pressures that come. By his grace, by his mercy, by the power of his spirit, I'm going to do it. And he gives these final instructions on how to do that. And he says that he's able to keep us blameless so that when he returns, he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many. You have to set your vision for an eternity. Amen? I want you to bow your heads with me. I always like to give everybody a chance. There's not many people here as usual, but you never know who's here. And all I'm going to do is ask you to do this between you and I and God right now. But if you are here and you don't know Jesus, but you say, you know what? I, I need to give my life to the Lord. I need to confess my sin. I need to receive forgiveness. I need to know that I have eternal life with the Lord and that when He returns, I'm going to be found blameless because I am washed in His blood. And that's you, and you've never given your life to the Lord. Would you just raise your hand right now and say, that's me. I want want to do that now. I want to do that now. Anybody in here? Anybody at all? Praise God. Now, for the rest of us, for the rest of us, I think we just need to allow the Lord to minister to our hearts. I think just like Forrest said earlier, we need to come into this place where we receive the love of God afresh because He wants to strengthen us with all of the things that are coming upon this world. We need to understand that it's not a time for us to be fearful. He's not giving us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so, Lord, right now I pray for each person listening that you would strengthen them. God, that you would allow them and enable them to lay aside every weight and every sin that does so easily beset them. And Lord God, let them get their vision fixed on your coming and on your return. But Lord, we're not looking for an escape because God, you have called us to this place for this hour to be filled with your spirit, to proclaim your gospel, to love the broken, to minister, Lord, to those who need healing, to those who need freedom. And Lord Jesus, we believe that you're the only one. 
We believe that your gospel is the power of God unto salvation and that, Lord Jesus, you are the only way. So help us and strengthen us, God, and give us wisdom and give us discernment. And Lord, help us to pray like never before, Lord God. We want to seek your face. And so we surrender our lives to you afresh, Lord Jesus. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, to come this morning. In Jesus' name, to strengthen each and every one.